Hello and welcome to another episode of Addiction Audio. Uh, I'm Rob Calder and today I'm talking to Zoe Swithenbank. Uh, Zoe, welcome to Addiction Audio. Hi Rob, thanks for having me. So uh, I'm going to be talking to Zoe about her article recently published that's titled uh, Tailoring Consort Spy to Improve the Reporting of Smoking Cessation Intervention Trials an expert consensus study. And for uh, for the benefit of, of, of radio or podcasts, CONSORT-SPY is all capital letters and is an acronym that we will get to uh, in due course. Um, Zoe is from uh, Liverpool John Moores University at the moment, but we'll be talking about work uh, that was undertaken at the University of Aberdeen. So, uh, so Zoe, firstly, this study uh, is it's focused on improving reporting. It's a, it's a checklist to improve reporting on uh, smoking cessation trials of behavioural interventions. So this kind of cuts into uh, improving science, better reporting, tighter findings. Um, can you describe, before we kind of get into your solutions, what were some of the reporting issues um, that this study tried to address? Okay, so basically this, this came out from... Um the IC Smoke project, which was um, a methodological systematic review. So there's other papers been published on that, some of which I was involved in. Um, but this kind of came out of, as a result of that because we were obviously looking to extract a load of data for the systematic review when we found it really hard to accurately code a lot of the information. So it's like, would well, it be really useful if we had better reporting guidance that would actually mean that people reported these things in, well, first off, reported them at all in some cases, and reported them perhaps in a more consistent way that we could do things with. I mean, some of them are kind of fairly obvious for a smoking trial. So we want things like, um, you know, cigarettes per day or your, your nicotine dependence score or whatever. But there's a whole host of different ways of reporting that. So we're trying to kind of be a bit more consistent so that you can compare across trials. So things like whether, you know, it's self-reported data or we're using biochemically verified um, smoking status, all that kind of thing. And then right down to things like you know, the reporting, things like treatment intervention. Actually, the content of that can be quite hard to find. A lot of people say we did X, Y and Z, but that could mean many, many things. Um, so I'm quite interested in sort of the behavior change components of stuff. So we went right down to coding manuals, coding any intervention materials we could get hands on, basically right down to the behavior change techniques that we used. Um, and obviously that had quite varied results. So obviously trying to encourage people to say exactly what they did, uh, make materials available and yeah, be a bit more kind of explicit about what's in the interventions as well. So you mentioned there about the IC Smoke um, project and that's um, capital I, capital C rather than someone who can see smoke. Um, can you tell us a, just a little bit about what that project is and how, how it fed into this study? Yeah, so the, the IC Smoke project was a cancer research funded a systematic review. So we started out so I came in on the second phase of the project, but um, when we updated the searches, but the idea was to compare intervention and comparator groups. So for everything that we coded, extracted, all the rest of it was for both groups, well, for every group. So for some studies, we've got many, many groups of, of uh, stuff. Um, so there's been, they've done some other studies, um, studies papers, published a few other papers about um we did one on retention and recruitment in trials um, and the differences in reporting between intervention and comparator groups and some stuff like that. So it's been quite an interesting project that's, looks, that's looked at a whole host of different aspects of uh, smoking trials, particularly RCTs, randomised control trials, sorry, um, for uh, smoking cessation. So that was the, the topic of the, the study. So kind of as a result of that, 
um, we came up with some kind of issues. You know, as, as I mentioned earlier, that um, things that could be done better, basically. So we thought it would be good to do something about that, which then turned into um, an expert consensus Delphi project um, and, and ultimately the reporting guidelines that we've just published. So uh, is this is this a project a, a product of of needing to kind of pull results and and meta analyze them and be able to kind of say look we there are ten studies but actually because because they were replicable we can draw conclusions it, is this kind of the difference in reporting on those ten, ten studies is is that what was preventing you drawing conclusions or was it just that actually key information was missing I'd say a bit of both because obviously this was a quite a well resourced study so we had um, and, and the project before I started ended up with I think 173 studies that we included oh. obviously we had quite a, a, a big team of, of people that so we were able to do a lot of follow-ups and, and you know speak to authors and get all that extra information but most people won't have the time or the resources to do that so as well as obviously we want information to be consistent the, the more available it is the better obviously if you're trying to recreate an intervention and you don't know what's in it it makes it quite difficult so yeah trying to be a bit more consistent and just encourage people to report things at all i love research that kind of it comes from that is you know we tried to do something and were frustrated by these things so we went to try and actually improve those things um and the way you went about this was to uh, conduct a, a a delphi study can you just explain for people who maybe aren't familiar with the delphi study what what that is so again uh, this is the only delphi study i've been involved in so i'm not sure if it was if all Delphi studies are like this. So, so basically we started out with, you know, with, with the literature review, which basically was the IC Smoke project mm. um, and pointed out things that we, we, we wanted to address from that. Um, and then we also looked at kind of existing guidelines, merged quite a few of them, got all the key points. We were lucky to have some people on the team that had been involved in the, in the consort spy and also in the tidier um, thing. So you know, we had quite a lot of uh, expertise within the team. So we kind of merged all of those and came up with this really massive list of all the things that we thought should be included and refined it and refined it and then came down with a okay, with a, a more manageable list and then um, emailed it out to a bunch of experts in the field and asked them to vote on what they thought of the items that we'd suggested. So we used the Likert scale. So is it very important, not very important, really unimportant? Um, and then... It had a very systematic way of doing that, obviously. Um, and then, obviously, if they had any additional items they thought should be included or additional comments, and then we, we got all that information, pulled it, got all the votes together, had some items that were unanimous. Great. That was easy. Whether they were you know completely irrelevant or really important. Uh, quite a few that were a bit more controversial or not as, not as clear cut for a lot of people and then a few that um, experts had suggested as being quite important so we put all those together and then we flew everyone in this was pre-covid when it seemed like quite a reasonable thing to do um looking back i'm not sure if we do it the same way but something to be said for a face-to-face -face meeting so yeah we flew everyone in we all uh, met in the netherlands for well we had a, a full day meeting at the trimbos institute which was lovely um and had a yeah, a long day of uh, going through the, the previous voting, had some presentations on each item so we could have a bit of a debate about it uh, with an independent chair to move everything along. Uh, and then had a bit of a, I say a chat, it was a debate 
interesting discussions about you know the pros and cons of each items what we thought why they should be included and came up with uh, refined the list i think so we came up with anything that was definitely agreed i think we were agreed in everything by the end of the day whether that was to include it or not there were some things that were just probably really important but we didn't think were appropriate for inclusion or some things that were covered in other uh, consort or extensions and other things that we thought we perhaps wanted to prioritize we didn't want to do we've got quite a few additions or modifications in the um, consort spice smoke as we're calling it um, obviously we didn't want to go with hundreds and just overwhelm people mm. one of the main points for me anyway was to make sure that it's reasonable practical because quite a few of the things have if possible you know where appropriate because some things just aren't appropriate for every trial mm. and you know we're aware of that we just wanted to make sure it's wherever it is possible please do this it's, it's it's always one of those dangers if you if you get a room full of researchers and ask them what data they want it will be all of the data all of the answers and all of the items please um yeah so just on a kind of like an organizational or a, a personal level being involved in uh, such a big project uh, you know there were uh, 17 experts from seven countries um you know and several rounds online discussions email voting an in-person meeting and, and this kind of iteration towards towards what you ended up with what was it like kind of organizing that and coordinating it was that a challenge um that's one way of putting it yes <laughs> it was it was a really interesting experience because it was my first kind of proper academic job i just finished my masters and was looking for a job in research hopefully something in um tobacco related because that was what I was interested in so this was all quite new to me and then I was like great we're going to do this so I've never heard of a Delphi but I'll figure it out <laughs> um, <laughs> but we did have a really good team obviously you know some of the people on there have got a lot of experience so it was great to have people that knew what was going on um, and uh, we had uh, me and uh, the postdoc on the project uh, the Lesio, uh, Dr Bricker um, we worked quite closely together because it was kind of us doing a lot of the the organising and the the day to day stuff. Uh, we went out to the Netherlands a few days earlier to meet with uh, Professor De Bruin and prepare everything. So you know it was great. We got to got to travel a bit, which is always nice. Um, we did have obviously support from the university to book people's travel and things. So it was more like we'd kind of get an idea of what it might cost to fly someone in from Sydney, and then they'd book it. Um, so yeah, it was it was a bit of a logistical challenge but it was certainly an interesting process and I, I, I'd be willing to do it again put it that way it's not um, put me off altogether yeah it's encouraging to hear um and with, with those 17 experts did you uh, did you kind of consciously try to uh, get a balance of clinical academic um, and people with different kind of skills and expertise yeah that was kind of a big focus because obviously we knew everyone had very different ideas and if you got we wanted a variety yeah so rather than people going well we just want the you know the academic stuff so no we want people with experience of actually running these interventions you know clinical people that will know what's actually feasible in terms of you know, doing a smoking cessation intervention because it's one thing saying you know we we want this going yeah but your participants are never going to do that so so it, you know it was important i think to get that balance and try and get a, a good range and we did have quite a variety of, of people you know different backgrounds different expertise which was made it for some interesting debates yeah it, it seems from your kind of process that the in-person meeting was perhaps the the place where it happened that's where kind of most of the discussion happened i mean yeah definitely i mean that, that was a great day it was 
Uh, so it was a little bit nerve-wracking because we were hoping everyone would turn up on time. Some people had already arrived. Some people were flying in on the day. Um, obviously, I'd never been to the Trimbos Institute, so it was all finding, you know, all the technical stuff, making sure that everything was recording and, you know, we could get all the tech stuff working. And to be honest, logging everyone into the internet was the most challenging bit, I think, <laughs> to try to pass around people's phones and everyone trying to sort out internet codes and things. Wow. Because uh, we did the online voting via uh, an app on your phone, basically, so that we could make sure it was anonymous uh, during the meeting. Obviously, we'd done it previously uh, through email. Um, so, yeah, it was it was a bit of a challenge, but I think it was really worth doing. I know it was perhaps seems odd flying everyone in but it actually worked really well because we did have that full day where everyone could get into these really in-depth discussions which i don't think you get quite the same in, you know online it, it was really interesting reading this um from the perspective you know from a post-covid perspective if that's a thing um you know about people declining to participate because the travel burden was too onerous and, and that just seems like the kind of thing that wouldn't happen now people would join a, a, a teams meeting or a zoom um and it, yeah i, I just I, there's no question attached to this it was just kind of it was odd seeing how much that's changed yeah that was one of the things that i hadn't really thought that much about until um we were finalizing the paper to submit um and they were like why didn't you get people from you know, a, a more global perspective. And we were like, well, because they had to fly in. And now that seems a bit odd, but at the time it seemed logical. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so there's, there's swings around about us. There's definite, um, there's definite pros of having all the people together in one room, but obviously from a financial and you know, environmental perspective, it has its downfall. So, so on, on to the kind of the results. I mean, obviously, you know, for people who want to see, there were, there were, uh, there were a lot of specifications. So these were ex exist. There was a lot of existing items where the uh, requirement was kind of tightened, um, and the description was was changed. And then there were actually quite a lot of extra items that were put in as well. And for people who want to see all of those, you know, they they, they need to go to the paper. There's too many to kind of go through in discussion here. But can can you perhaps pick out a, a few highlights um, of the kinds of things that that this Delphi process kind of concluded needed to be changed? I think also, as you said, some of them are just about being more explicit. So it's things that are already being done. You know, there's no question about that. You know, we, we asked for things like um, eligibility criteria. We Because I think something like, are people motivated to quit smoking? You know, in smoking trials, that's really important. And that's not always reported. So it's stuff that say so you will already know, and it's not adding any particular extra sort of burden to your participants or to the trial. But it'd be really nice to know. So that so so that's things that people will presumably have have recorded, but but somehow it isn't getting written up when they publish. Yeah, or certainly not explicitly, because we use things like motivation to quit as one of the things that we were extracting. And you know, was that a condition of inclusion in the study? And sometimes it was very obvious, and sometimes it wasn't. Okay. So just like this, would, when you're comparing, because quit rates are likely to be different based on whether you're motivated to quit or not. So, you know, a sort of modest quit rate, but in people that had no intention to quit, it's actually probably just as impressive as a really good quit rate in people that were motivated. Yeah. So I just think it's, it's that sort of understanding a bit more of the nuance of the trials, not just, you know, assuming everyone's at the same sort of baseline. Stuff like that was quite important for me anyway. Um, and obviously some sort of more technical stuff, which are very important. Again, there was things that were, obviously already being done but weren't being reported and then some things that we didn't know 
if they were being done or not, and we'd like to know. So, you know, you've, you've, you've touched on a couple of the things that, that people were presumably doing, but just needed tightening up. What were some of the things that were absent in the current guidelines that you, that you added? I think for some things, not necessarily absent, but weren't consistent. So things like the, the outcomes are really important for smoking cessation. Um, we, cause we were having spent a lot of time extracting a lot of data from these papers. It can be really difficult to get and find out exactly what they're reporting. So whether they're using say biochemically or, or self-reported data and with that, if even some of the biochemically reported stuff was um, only after they'd self-reported. So just being quite clear on the process of what that had happened, because it wasn't always clear. Or sometimes people would say they'd biochemically verified and then you'd find in the small print that it said a small sample. Um, now, whether biochemically verified is the way to go, I think we, we've recommended that it is. And I think we're practical, that's you know, the way forward. But just being very clear that there are different ways of doing that. And we'd like to know exactly how and, and when and by whom that was done. And then whether it was continuous or point prevalence abstinence or all that kind of thing. And also, I, well, I personally, I'd like to see things like you know a reduction in, in cigarettes per day included as a, an, an outcome because you know, which abstinence is important and you know, the sort of goal for a lot of studies. It's not necessarily the only important outcome. There's a lot here about kind of, actually, it's better if you haven't done something, please carry on reporting that. You know, it, it's better to report that you didn't biochemically verify than try and kind of cover over the fact that you that you haven't done that you know you, your study is what your study is yeah that see, that's quite important we're not saying this is the way that you must do every study we're saying if it's appropriate and possible then here are some you know, really important things we think you should do but that might not be appropriate for every study and that's okay um just kind of be a bit more transparent about it on the kind of issue of transparency some of this stuff touches on kind of open science um uh, principles and you talked about training materials so with behavioral interventions uh, you know there, there'll be training uh, presumably for kind of people to inter intervene or to deliver smoking cessation behavioral interventions um, and you said there was kind of actually quite a, a wide range in the description of that intervention from you know specific training materials to kind of a, a very cursory description um, can you perhaps kind of say what your your guidelines recommend people do and well i think from the guideline perspective the, the more information the better because we can't compare you know interventions if we don't know what actually is involved in them and i think because we were looking at both the intervention and the comparator groups a lot of times more so for the comparator group they'd say treatment as usual we're like yeah, but we want to know what that means we want to know what behavior change techniques were involved in that we want to know how often and how you delivered it and all that kind of stuff whereas obviously a lot of them focus much more on the, the the intervention itself which makes it interesting when you're trying to compare because you know what are you comparing it against because treatment as usual could be anything from the same really intense intervention minus contingency management say or it could be a really intense intervention versus here's a leaflet by now and you know it, yeah it's interesting and also you can't really compare outcomes against such different trials you know it's so we, yeah obviously but these things are already being done people know what their intervention is and they know what the comparator is so we're not asking them to go away and write a new intervention it's just can you could you just report what's actually in it please we just 
you know, as an appendix, supplementary material, put it on, you know, a, a, an open science website, whatever. Same with some of the, the data. We had long debates about whether that should be, you know, cleaned and tidied up and made usable. And that was some of the, particularly the, uh, the stats people were like, no, we don't have enough time to do that. And I fully <laughs> respect that. We don't want to be putting people off doing trials in the first place. It's like, well, as long as they're in some kind of usable state, put them out there if people can use them. You know, it's sharing data. It's useful, isn't it? And on, on the kind of note of appendices, I saw that one of your appendices was um, uh, a PowerPoint presentation, a kind of overview of the discussion of the of, of the meeting. Um, like, and, and again, just in terms of kind of transparency, I think it's great to be able to see the process that you worked through to get there. But did you meet any resistance among participants for having the kind of detail of those disagreements, perhaps made uh, made public alongside the publication of the the article? I think we were quite upfront from the beginning that you know it was we weren't using people as participants. Everyone was obviously taking part, but from a an academic expert perspective. Um, we weren't saying, oh, so-and-so said this. You know, it was different opinions. And, I, well, I certainly hope it hasn't come across in any um, personally offensive way. It wasn't, wasn't supposed to be. Um, yeah. It was. I just thought it was really interesting to highlight that there are there isn't one right answer in this. There are very different perspectives depending on whether you're a statistician, you know, a smoking cessation expert, you know, someone delivering a trial and everyone's going to have different perspectives and trying to balance all of those could be quite challenging i mean i i suppose the the the, the success of of this this study rests in you know people using it over the next 10 years and then a systematic reviewer in 2033 uh you know getting a, a whole load of studies that are wonderfully comparable uh detailed reporting uh, from which they can draw some solid conclusions about behavioural interventions for smoking cessation. How, how do you as a kind of team uh, ensure that that consorts by smoke um, gets used in that way and becomes the kind of the normal way for reporting these kinds of trials? So uh, That would be great. Um, how we do that? Um, I mean, publishing it open access was obviously a big step in that we want to make it as available and usable for as many people as possible which is you know another reason why we've got so many kind of slightly pragmatic suggestions you know if possible where appropriate all the rest of it um because we do want to you know make it kind of user friendly um but yeah i think it's just making it as available as possible and encouraging people to use it in the way that works for them because it's that's the point, isn't it? We don't want people to go, this is too much effort, I'm not going to do it. We want people to go, well, I can do some of it or I can do, you know, or I can say that's not relevant to me or I haven't done that. So for me, it's just about kind of getting it out there as much as possible and encouraging people to use it in the way that it was intended, which is in a somewhat flexible way. Um, that sounds fantastic. We, we've spoken to a couple of people who've, who've run Delphi projects and they always sound absolutely fascinating. You know, the notion of getting that many experts in one room to discuss um you know, the latest research is, 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 it is a bit of a wonderful opportunity, but the idea of organising it uh, kind of gives me the shivers a little bit. Um, and, uh, you know, what are you working on next? Uh, well, I'm, so, 
my PhD is in smoking cessation, uh, behavioral interventions, unsurprisingly. Um, so I'm kind of using some of this, but I'm looking more at, well, I'm looking at people who are in treatment for drug and alcohol use. So I'm kind of focusing more on how to make things more acceptable and appropriate for that population. So whereas I think you know, the, the consort spy smoke is, is a really good sort of all-rounder, um, and because it's it is quite flexible, I think there are some things that may or may not be suitable for for different populations. So I'm trying to look at how to make that more relevant. So I'm not doing another uh, Delphi. Don't worry, <laughs> I might be <laughs> ambitious for a PhD. Um, so yeah, that's that's where I'm at. I'm writing that up and trying to get some uh, some recommendations of how to deliver behavioural interventions for smoking cessation for people accessing drug and alcohol treatment. And while I'm doing that, I'm currently working on a project for Lancaster University, uh, which is looking at treatment pathways for people with co-occurring alcohol and mental health problems, which is really interesting. And potentially another Delphi coming up with that. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> oh, yeah, go keep us keep us posted. Um, Zoe Swithenbank, uh, also sounds amazing work, um, fascinating uh, paper. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Brilliant, thank you. <laughs>